Let's get into the Word. Man, I'm so excited this morning because this is probably my favorite topic. And so I'll be honest with you, I don't know how, I don't know when we're going to get out of here, but it's all good because it's the Lord's Day and that's what we're here for. Uh, but I know this, I feel like a little boy who, who when you walk into his uh, room and he's got a bunch of brand new Christmas gifts and he's just spazzed out. He can't show you one thing without going to another and then going, and that's how I feel this morning. So I'm going to do my best just to slow down and let's walk through it together because, because church, nothing is more important to me. I mean, I... Love the Word of God. And I just, when I read it and I study it and when I see the Lord just unfold some things, I'm just like, my God, you, you, you blow me away. And so we're talking about this, um, this year. We're talking about having, being, being one. How do we operate as one? We talked last week about being in one devotion. We want to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves, And so how do we do that? How do we embrace being one in our devotion? And we can begin today with one aspect of that. We'll go through many of those throughout the year, but we can begin today. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us, for as a man thinketh within himself, so is he. And so the, the Lord tells us, or the Word tells us that when we are thinking rightly, then that's who we are. We need to be able to think on something that determines and defines who we are. So what are we supposed to be thinking upon? Hebrews 8.10 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, and I will put my laws, which is my word, because remember he gave that to Moses on the top of the mountain, and I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their people, and they shall be my people. If we are going to be devoted to God in our minds, we must meditate on his law day and night. You need to be able to renew your mind. You need to know that this is the word of God. It is without question. It is everything it says it is. It can do everything it can say it, it, it can do. And you need to know where it came from, why it's validated, and why it's tested. Now, some of you today may already know some of the things that I'm about to tell you, but it's going to be kind of a teaching class today. So if you weren't a good student, it's time to redeem yourself, all right? We're in class this morning. And I know I'm going to give you more information than your brain is going to be able to comprehend, and that's okay, all right? Grab what hits you in the forehead and say, Lord, I need this. Show me how to apply it to my, my life. We need to know that the Word of God is the very Word of God. When you make a decision, no one wants to look at the Word and say, is it really, you know, is it, it could be just principles. It could be practices. It could be wisdom collections and writings. And I mean, how do I know that it is the, the Word of God? And some of y'all would say, well, you know, it's easy, Scott. We know that. Well, that's great. If you know that, but let me ask you, can you articulate what you know? Can you tell someone else who is struggling in doubt and a lack of faith and belief and that the Word of God, the Holy Bible, is the Word of God? 
you may know it for yourself, and that's great, but we're not supposed to have knowledge unto ourselves only. Our job is to communicate the gospel, and a part of the gospel is communicating that his word is trustworthy and true. So maybe you already know all this stuff for yourself in terms of your belief, but do you know it enough to tell somebody else you can trust it? Here's why. Because we need to know, we need to know this is the very word of God. It is the word without comparison uh, to all literature. It is the absolute word of God. It is the most copied, the most reproduced, the most translated, the most, the, I think it's the best-selling book in all history, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure I read that before. It's also the most hated, the most destroyed, the most burned, the most misquoted, the most misinterpreted, and the most misunderstood book in history, and that is by design from the enemy. And so if we're going to walk, church, in obedience with the one who we worship, we need to follow the one book that he has given us. It's important for us to know that there is one book that we don't question. You hear what I said? That we do not question. Are there rules in your house that you tell your kids you will not? Do you, you, know, you hear what I'm saying? If you do, I will beat your legs off. And I will go to jail satisfied that I was a good parent. You will not. You will not do this. And that's how emphatic that we ought to be when we realize that we do not question the word of God. Because how could we? <laughs> how could we contend with his knowledge? How could we contend? And so this book, this one book, has absolute authority, unlimited power. It requires our complete faith in all it says and tells us to do. And even if we don't fully comprehend it, then we are still bound to follow the one book. Let it be said of us, church. At Harrison Faith, we follow one book. So this morning, I want to I bring to you an aspect of the Word of God and focus on the uniqueness of this one book. And so here are my points in a nutshell, just I'll put it out there in front of you. Uh, we want to talk about how the Bible is unique due to its claim, due to its unity, due to its teaching, due to its impact, due to its accuracy, and due to its history. Are you ready? You got some pins out and stuff? Some of my college kids are like, oh, man. Let's go. Father in heaven, we need this word. We need to know resolutely, God, that there is nothing in error, that there is nothing limitless or powerless about this book, that it is your very word given to us, Lord, to, to, for nothing else, God, for us to know who you are. That is your heart, that we might know you, that we might be one with Christ as he is with you. And so I pray today, as we learn, as we hear, and as we understand, Holy Spirit, there's going to be segments that certain parts of it, Lord, we need to hear. Some of us need to hear differently. And I, and I pray that you would bring your word to bring enlightenment and revelation to people's lives, Lord, and that it will change the way that they speak, the way that they see, the way that they believe, and the way that they walk, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So first off, the Bible is unique due to its claim. 
How, how is it unique in its claim? Even though the Bible is regarded uh, by most men as a philosophical book, it does not claim itself to do that. It is not a, a philosophical book by any means. The Bible is very straightforward. It, it claims itself to be the very word of God, not the word of man. And that is a very unique claim. Other books don't make that claim. Other sacred texts don't make that claim. And we'll see just as in a second that really, in fact, no other book makes the claim that it is the very Word of God. The only thing that comes close is the Quran. And I don't know if you studied the Quran or not, probably not, but the Quran is really just a cheap imitation of the Word of God. It tries to emulate it. It tries to imitate it. It had uh, thousands of years to look at it and, and break it down. And then the enemy tried to come along and just pervert the Word of God and make it like it was original, uh, authentic document of the divine being in heaven. But that is all a lot, we know. And so here is the best way that the, um, uh, the Quran makes an attempt at saying it is the Word to God. It basically says that one should not question our servant Muhammad, who has been given the truth. And if you question what he has, let you bring forth another truth and have another witness to swear by it and not use Allah. Now, I guess that makes sense to some people, but I need to know that the Word of God says, hey, I'm the Word of God. And so that is exactly what Scripture does. When we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, we see exactly that. The Lord knows that Scott Brandon's in the world. Let's make it dummy-proof. Let's just come right out with it and say it. And he says, all Scripture. What's the word all mean? All. All. Scripture is breathed out by God. That is a claim like no other claim. Like no other claim. And so we know that the Word of God is the very breath of God, the very Word of God. And then in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Can I tell you that if the Lord knew that the highest level of thinking we'll ever need in the world is something that you and I could produce, he would never have written anything. But what he realizes is that you and I don't have the highest level of thought. And so he writes the word of God because he tells us my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. That's why we can't contend with the Word of God and wonder if it's applicable to our life because you have low thoughts. You have weak thoughts. You have incompetent, untrustworthy, unreliable thoughts because you have emotions. But he who wrote the Word of God does not change, nor does he sleep, nor does he slumber. He doesn't move in any way, shape, or fashion than what he's always been. He is consistent. So every time I go to that Word, it is always the same, and it is always better than the thoughts I'm thinking. So that is the Word that we're looking at this morning. And so that is uh, what the Word claims itself to be. Another way we know that is the very Word of God and its claim is Jesus claimed it to be the Word of God. Now, that's significant because if Jesus claims it and you claim Jesus, then you got to claim what he claims, right? That's how it works. Otherwise, y'all ain't homeboys, right? As a matter of fact, he's not your homeboy. Anyway, he is your Lord and Savior. Matthew 5, 17 through 18 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That's the Old Testament he's speaking of right there. 
I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now an iota is the smallest letter in the alphabet that was used to, um, uh, to write the word of God. And an iota is a seraph. You know what a seraph is? A seraph is a little bit of a horn on that letter that turns up just like that. He's saying not one single aspect of my word will pass away. You know why? Because it's his word. And his word is just as eternal as he is. So therefore, it will always last. It will always endure forever. In fact, when heaven and earth do pass away at some point in time, when he redeems all of creation, his word will still stand true. So when Jesus and the Father and the Son Way back in Genesis said, let there be. Can I tell you that that let there be is still constant today? You got up and realized it was time to go to church because the let there be told you that it's Sunday today. Let there be is that eternal word. And Jesus said in John 10, 35, he says that scripture cannot be broken. That means it's authoritative, it's binding, and it's dependable. Scripture can never be broken. Do you live like that? Do you live like Scripture cannot be broken? Do you trust in Scripture like it cannot be broken? Because here's what I know. In your mind, you can be saying, I know, that's, that's right, Pastor Scott, all day long. In your mind, you can be embracing all that I'm saying and saying, that's right, we, we agree with you. But what does your life say? What does your life say? Does your life say it is the very Word of God? Does your life say that it is just as trustworthy? Does your life say that you trust it to exist as much as the sun does? What does our life say? Here's the bottom line. We can go on for weeks on this one aspect. Jesus says that it's the word of God, and if we can't trust Jesus, then we can't trust him at all. For you to trust Jesus as your Savior is for you to trust his word and if you trust his word, then you must trust him as your savior or you've rejected both. What I'm telling you is that you cannot just agree and admit that is the word of God and Jesus not be your savior. You're lying in one area. So if you believe the word of God is the very word of God, then Jesus should be your savior. And if he's not your savior, then you don't believe that the word of God is the very word of God. There must be an agreement there. Another reason the Bible is unique due to its unity uh, is, is, I'm sorry, due to its uniqueness is, uniqueness is due to its unity. I just want to say that word three times. How is it unique in its unity? No other book, no other book comes close to the unity of its content, especially when you look at where, where it was written, um, how long it was written, and by who it was written. Over 15 Hundred years. That's like six times the existence of the USA right now, right? We're two, almost 250, I guess. So, so, so basically, America would have risen and fallen six times by now. 
That's how long it took to write the Word of God. And it was written on three different continents. Now, I don't know about you, but I write different based off where I'm sitting, right? I could be, I could, I, if I text you from the sanctuary versus my home or from my vehicle, they all come out differently, right? Where I'm at determines what I'm saying. Is there anybody else like that? Am I the only normal person in here? You, you know exactly what I'm saying. And so from three different continents, three different types of, well, uh, global cultures, even though subcultures make a difference even more. But then from 40 different authors, can you imagine uh, uh, the impact of those variables making a, 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 a change or, or being off? And yet through all of that, the word, the sum of the word is exactly the same. Over 1,500 years of writing, three different continents by 40 different authors. Let me just give you a picture of how diverse this is. Moses was a political leader. He's going to write different from Peter, who's a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua was a military general. Nehemiah, a cupbearer. Daniel is a prime minister. Luke is a medical doctor. Solomon is a king. Matthew is a tax collector. And Paul is a rabbi. And as, as they, they were writing, they were writing, Moses wrote from the wilderness, Jeremiah wrote from a dungeon, Daniel wrote on a hillside, Paul was writing from a prison, Luke was writing while he was texting and driving, actually he was just traveling, and John was writing while he exiled on the island of Patmos. that's a place where they send exiles and convicts and insane people. Do you know how hard it is to write when your kids are not being good? Can you imagine trying to, trying to write with some... Yeah, but he did. He did. That can be said by no other document ever written in human history but that long by that many people from that many different backgrounds, all coming to the same conclusion, all coming to the same conclusion. And I know that I've heard this before, but Pastor Scott, the word has been translated by so many men, so many men. Yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely it has. Because we only live 120 years and we're dead if you get to be that lucky. And so we have to, we have to, we have to reproduce it. It is going to be translated. But let me tell you something. I want you to know this, that the foundational framework of Western civilization in the areas of philosophical foundations, literature and art, ethical and moral thought, political theory, scientific method, education and psychology and personal development all hang on the three big names of influence, and they are, anybody want to know, extra credit, Aristotle, that's good, somebody said that underneath their breath, Aristotle, Plato, and Homer, those are the three, those are the three, those three names, and, and you know what we know about them? We don't know a whole lot, because all we have is just a few documents from them based off their writings, we, we, we gained that understanding, let me show you what I'm talking about. So if you look at Plato, you'll see here as the author, what he wrote, he wrote in 427 to 347 B.C. And the earliest copy we found was in A.D. 900. That's 1,200 years later than when he originally wrote it. Could there be a possibility that someone rewrote that? I mean, 1,200 years, that's a long time. And there was only seven copies that we found of this guy's work. Then Aristotle, 342 to 322. We actually found one in 1100. That's 1400 years in time span when somebody could have come along and, and rewrote his stuff, and we only found 49 copies. Now, Homer, is, uh, he wrote in 900 BC. 
His earliest copy was in A.D. 400, only a 500-year time span. That's not too bad, not too bad, and 643 copies. By the way, if you're a DC Universe guy, a Marvel guy, or any of those action, thank Homer because he's the one that introduced it to our, our civilization. And so what I'm saying is, is that these guys right here form the seven major pillars of Western thought. And they're going to ask me, Pastor Scott, can we trust the Word of God? When it was written in 40 to 100 A.D., the New Testament, the earliest copy was 125 A.D., 25 years after it was written, and they found more than 24,000 copies. Can I tell you, it's the Lord's Word. Who's responsible to, responsible to preserve it? He is. Is it trustworthy? Yes. If we can build our whole civilization around three men who we don't even know, the stuff that we have is their stuff, and yet we want to question the very Word of God, the only reason why we want to question it is because we don't want to do what it says to do. That's the only reason why. Because if it told you to hang your curtains instead of, instead of mow the yard, you'd have said, okay, we'll do that. But because it tells you to deny yourself and love your enemy, you want to say, well, we don't know if we can trust that. No, we just don't know if we can trust that you really understand anything about the Word of God being true and being transformative. You just don't want to buy into and believe what the Lord has planned for you because you're still wanting to be in control of your life. But God has something so much better for you. It wants to teach you so much more. And that's another reason I want to give you this morning is why it's unique. It's unique in its teaching. How is it unique in its teaching? The Bible is unique in the sense that it teaches what no other book does. That should make sense. If it's not like any other book, it should teach us things that no other book knows. One of the things it teaches is it teaches on the Trinity. No other book teaches the Trinity. Think about that. There's three persons but one God. No other book talks about that. In fact, we have problems understanding it ourselves. But we ought to know that the Word of God teaches a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are three separate persons, but one in essence. I heard it crudely say one time, it's like the divine pretzel. You got three holes and one dough, you know? If that's simple enough for you to understand the Trinity, then there you go. It's a lot more complicated than that, I promise you. But it teaches the Trinity. The other thing it teaches is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Other books talk about the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, but, but, but the Word of God teaches it in a way that nobody else claims about it. And that is simply this. Let's begin with his birth. He was born of a woman who was a virgin. Now, I don't know of any other story I've ever heard in my entire life that's close to that. That's a unique situation. Born of a virgin. But also, at the same time, what other man is fully God and fully man? Not just going to be God, not just came from being God, but is fully God and fully man. No other man. No, one minute God's hungry, the other minute he's multiplying 5, 000, food for 5,000 people. One minute he's thirsty, and the next minute he's walking on water. One minute he's sleepy, and the next minute he's raising Lazarus up from the biggest sleep of his life. He's fully God, and he's fully man. Jesus claims that when you look at him, you are looking at the Father. Nobody else claims that. In fact, he got into a discussion one time with the Pharisees, and they asked him, are you greater than Abraham, our father? And he said, yeah, in different ways, uh, but in, 
you know, I think Jesus had a little bit of honoriness to him. I just, I feel that way. And when I read some of his, 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 his words, I think, oh yeah, he was gouging them right then. And, and when he responded to them in John chapter 8, verse uh, 56, he says this, they were like, you know, are, are, you, are you greater than who he is? And here's Jesus' response, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What? <laughs> you know, like, he's a long time ago. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A yes would have been good. But he says, before Abraham was, not, not, not before Abraham was, I was, and not before Abraham was, I will be, but I am. I am the same God that spoke to Abram before I put an H in his name. I am the same God that spoke to Moses when I said, I am that I am. I am the same God. In fact, right now, they were so angry. They picked up stones to throw it at him. But what he was saying is, is that I am the God who created you and separated you. I am the great I am. That's who Jesus, nobody else makes that. And, and the, the funny thing is the Quran even establishes Jesus as a great prophet. I don't know how they reconcile that, but they do somehow. The third thing is the description of man. I won't take long here. The description of man is different in the Bible than any other thing simply because it's one unique attribute. Many, many texts try to explain the origins of man, the universe, and so on, but no other text, no other book says that you and I were created in the image of our creator. You and I have a special value. And that value, that, simple, that one thing is the reason why America is who she is today. Because we believe that no matter where you come from or who you are or what you've done, that all of us have the same worth and same value. We're all equal. Why? Because we all share the image of the creator. And so that is the, the uniqueness of that. In fact, as I read through there, I've, I, I haven't noticed, I've not paid uh, attention to too much apologetics lately, but the last 50 years, it says that the Word of God has been consistently outdoing evolution theory at, at, a, at a fast race. And so right now, the creation theory is catching up a lot. But more importantly, no other book in its claim in terms of the origin of man has defeated evolution like the creation theory has. You know why? Because that stuff's a lie too. Only the truth remains. The fourth thing that, that the Word of God teaches us that's unique to it is the way of salvation. Can I tell you there's only two religions out there? The first religion is this, go work for your salvation. The second one is you can't earn it, it's given to you. No matter what name or title you put on it, there's only one way for you and I to receive salvation, and it is not go work for it. It is not go fulfill the law. It is not go do good deeds. It is not go knock on doors for two years of your life. You cannot work for it. You cannot give enough. You can't beat your body enough for it. Salvation is a free gift for you to receive and never to earn. We know that to be true because the very Word of God tells us that. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace... You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, nor could it ever be your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast. And Paul goes on to say that for while we were sinners and still weak, 
At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't even know you were going to hell. He did. He knew you could never bridge the gap. He knew you could never do enough. You could never say enough. You can never do anything enough. And that's why he came down and did what you could never do, and he did it with permanence. It wasn't his New Year devotion. He did it with permanence. Every other religion will tell you to work until you die, and hopefully you'll be redeemed. But Jesus says before you die, you can be redeemed. That's who we're talking about. Let me give you another way the Bible is unique, and the Bible is unique in its impact. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The Word of God is simply saying this. It's saying that when the Word is let go, it's so powerful and, and so impactive that it never comes back empty. It always gets its job done like a perfect kid who you ask to clean their room, and it always gets done. Do you got one of those? Lord, by your Word, I'm asking right now in Jesus' name for a revival of obedience in our rooms, Lord. It always does what it says it will do. I know sometimes that's difficult. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying, and it does not, it seems like nothing's getting better. It seems like there is no change. And I don't say this to really discourage you slash encourage you, but and sometimes the Word of God takes 700 years. But the thing is, the Word of God never fails never fails. It's not just a book with impact. It's a living book. It, 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 that's the reason why it has impact is because it's alive. Hebrews 4.12, y'all know it very well. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's not just a book. It's a living book book. That's why Jesus quoted it in Luke when he quoted Deuteronomy 8.3. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. How alive is it when Jesus' words, God's word is so alive that when it speaks something, even though something is dead or non-existent, it immediately has life. In, in fact, the word, the theologians call this simply ex nihilo. When he said, let there be, there was an ex nihilo thing. We talked about that probably a few months back or a month ago in, uh, uh, in Hebrews. But it means out of nothing. So when the word of God speaks, he doesn't have to go borrow a, a particle collider, go study black holes, go talk to an astrophysicist. How are we going to make this big bang happen, y'all? That ain't going to happen. 
The Lord says, let there be and there is. And you need to understand, the Lord needs no raw material. He doesn't need material. He doesn't need a situation. He doesn't need you to be in the right place at the right time doing the right thing. If he says it, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. And sometimes we forget that in our prayer. Sometimes we forget that in our walk. Sometimes we forget that in our sacrifice. That if the word of God says that it will happen, these are his promises. If he breaks any one of these promises, then the sun falls, then the moon fails. You understand that everything is, is hanging on his word. He doesn't need anything to establish it. You and I, we need stuff to do stuff. If all that you need, if anything else, the very least that you need is breath to breathe. But we are all dependent, but God is independent. He says in the beginning, let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let the waters be gathered together. Let the earth sprout. Let, the, let there be lights in the expanse. Let waters swarm with life. Let the earth bring forth light, living creatures and let us make man. This is the alive and impactive word of God of the Lord. It can create universes. Do you think it can help you? Do you think it can help you? Do you read it? Do you live it? Do you trust in it? Okay, Pastor Scott, move on, please. Move on, please. Two more, and I'll, and, and I'll be out of your way. Scripture is unique in its accuracy. It's, and and this, is the, this is the main quality, the main attribute that really sets it apart from every, everything else. We call this, this aspect of its uniqueness, we call it prophecy. This is the one thing that says, I ain't playing with y'all. You can guess, you can explain away, but when I tell you something's going to happen and it happens way before, see, a lot of times we just think, oh, the Lord's just slow. No, the Lord's trying to convince all the atheists that he is the Lord. I just said it a long time ago so I could give everybody enough chance to realize that when it does come to pass that it was true from the beginning. I know that to be true because his word tells me exactly that. 2 Peter 1.19 says, and we have the prophetic word, the prophetic word now more fully confirmed in Jesus, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Prophecy is the manner by which God communicates to us that he is God so that we cannot explain it away or rob him of his claim. Look at Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Do you hear what he's saying here? I'm God. There ain't nobody else. Declaring the end from the beginning, or de declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times that not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all. All my purpose. If the word of God is truly the word of God and he is the all-knowing God, then he should have the mind that understands everything in the future as if it were already in the past. And he does. We call that prophecy. And he says that again in Isaiah 48, 3 through 5. The former things I declared of old. They went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are, what? Human, obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass. Yes, Lord, I know. 
I declared them to you from old before they came to pass, and I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. Oh, my scientists can prove that. My archaeologists prove that. The Lord says, I do things before anybody can ever verify them. You know what's so funny to me is people talking about flat earth all the time, and the Lord already told us that the earth was around a long time ago when we couldn't even get up in a ship and look at, that, look at it. The Word of God is so powerful in its accuracy. I wish I had time to go further on this, but I want to skip over to this last thing, and that is it is unique in its history that the worship team will come on up. I, w- I want to give you something before we go, so don't rush out just yet. In fact, um, ushers, if y'all want to go ahead and get your stuff together, it'd be great. Lastly, it's unique in its history. No book has ever been preserved like this book, like the Bible. No book has ever been hated, has ever been burned as much, been outlawed, been banned, been talked about, been discredited. You name it. You know why? Because there is an agenda to destroy it. That should tell you that it is the very Word of God. But we know it is the Word of God uh, by, by its ability to, to validate itself. But as I was reading through this week, I, I realized there are, times, um, there are times where history is really attacked. In fact, Jeremiah 36, King, uh, I can't remember what his name is now. Joe, Joe, it's not Josiah, Josiah's boy. You might know what Josiah's boy's name is? Jehoiakim, that's what it is, Jehoiakim. Y'all didn't know that, like that? Uh, King Jehoiakim is, is in a bad place, a real bad place. And Jeremiah receives the word of the Lord, and, and Jeremiah hears the word of God said, write this down. So Jeremiah writes down what the word of God says. And then he says, now give this to the people. And so the king gets it, and as the king is as it's being read in front of the king, the king is snipping it every three or four columns. He's just cutting it off and throwing it into the fire, trying to burn the word of God because he doesn't want the word of God. The word of God is simply saying that Babylon is coming to destroy you because you're living like sinners. I'm coming for you. And, and him coming is actually me sending the consequence of your behavior. And, and he didn't want to hear that. And so he burnt the scrolls. And God said, Jeremiah, Two things. One, go tell the king that ain't the only thing that's going to burn. And the second thing is simply this. Write this down again and then tell everybody else what I said. See, what I want you to know this morning is that the Word of God is not something that, that we come up with. It's not something that, that was written by our own ideas. Second Peter tells us that, right? Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, no word of God, was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What we simply know is this, is that the word of God would have never been written if God knew we didn't need it. But since God prompted writers, he prompted authors, and he said, write this. Write this. These are my eternal words. It'll never be destroyed. It'll never, never pass away. One of my favorite stories is the, uh, the French um, atheist philosopher, Voltaire. You probably had to study that knucklehead in college. And um, 
And he made the declaration that in 50 years, the Bible, and he, in fact, he wrote, um, he, he wrote an article, a Biblia, and it was, he thought he put the death knell in Scripture. It's gone, it's done, it's, it's done away with. 50 years, no one will even remember what the Bible is. The funny thing is, 50 years, Voltaire passed away, and they bought his house, and they put a printing press inside of it. And they began to produce gospel tracts in the same house that wrote script, modern-day scripture, in the same house that wrote documents that were empty and lifeless, declaring that the Word of God was just as empty and lifeless. Fifty years later, that same house is producing and reproducing the very Word and lifeless, impactive power of God. Do not challenge my Lord. And do not challenge his word, because he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But here's the tragedy. As much as that is awesome, and I, I hope you kind of just download it into your spirit. Here's the tragedy, that in our lives, right, in our, in our mouths, we declare that the word of God is true. And with our lips, we can attest to it. But our lives do not say that the Word of God is true. Our lives do not say that. We have the Word of God in our pockets. We have the Word of God in our shelves. But we lack the Word of God in our heart. And if we're going to walk this road in being one with each other and with the Lord, we must know that this word that teaches us, that renews our mind, that the Lord has written and put into our heart and to our mind, it must be unquestionable. That means when the ethics of your workplace or the government or your preferences or your opinions or your feelings or your hurt, when God failed to show up, that means you got to know this word to be so true that everything else that contradicts it and contends with it is a lie. Do you feel that way? You feel the heaviness when someone says, you can't trust that word, because when I hear someone tell me that they can't trust the word of God, it physically hits me. First off, I think, how can you be so stupid? But then I remember how dumb I was myself. I was ignorant and I was blind. And church, I want us to be a church that the Word of God matters to us so much, so much, that we'll sacrifice everything for it. And when I mean for it, I don't mean to protect it, but to make sure that we've embraced it with our lifestyle. The government may take away, one day the culture may come in and rip away every physical hard copy book. It may it may very well do that one day. I'm not sure. But it won't matter if it's here, written on the tablets of our hearts. So if you trust in the Word of God, if it truly is the Word of God, then why do you go to it last? When your finances are uh, uh, having a problem, you go to it last. When you're having problems in your relationship, you go to it last. When you have problems in your health, you go to it last. Problems in your communication, you go to it last. And then we ask the Lord, why did you take so long to answer us? 
because you went to me last. As I was studying, I began to realize that I, too, go to the Word last. Not every time, but I sure don't prioritize my life like I believe in the Word of God. And I got to bring some alignment to my life that in every situation, every situation, every situation, can I be real for a second? I hope, hope I can go home after this, baby. So it was our anniversary last year um, in November. And I was perturbed because Julie wasn't perfect, right? She wasn't perfect. And, and I felt like I had a right to be. But then it was time for me to break open my devotional. And as I did, <laughs> I said, oh, man, there's that word right there. Went straight to it. That it's my job to be the example. That it's my job to love my wife. That it's my job to lay down my life as a sacrifice, like Christ did for the church. I think, oh, man, Lord, if I'd have came to you first over my grievance, I'd have got past having grumpy feelings all day long. We don't often go to the Word first. And so my call to you today is simply this, is where are you prioritizing the Word? If you trust it, read it. If you believe in it, then live it out. But don't lie to yourself and say Jesus is your Savior and not trust in His Word. If it is His Word that you trust in, then absorb it into your life it will always be an empty and lifeless document so long as you fail to trust in it. It's the reason why it's so boring and you can't read in it. Don't ask God to invigorate your reading time. Ask God to invigorate your heart that you might trust in it once again. Because when you do, it becomes that living, breathing, active Word of God in our life. Amen. Now, here's what I want to do, and then we're going. I want to start a reading plan with you guys. The ushers will come down. I'm going to give you a reading plan. We're going to pass one out. And for the next 10 weeks, I'm not asking you to read the whole Bible in 10 weeks. I, 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 I made it small. I know some of y'all, we're making baby steps, right? And so I, I want to give you this. And here's my challenge, okay? If you claim Jesus as your Savior, read. If he's not your savior, call me, okay? I'm just going to put you to the test. Every day, it's a small passage, and I've broken it up in 10 different ways that we understand who the Word of God is and why the Word is so important. And so I'm asking you on top of your plan, which I'm reading too, is that to read the Word of God, take a few minutes out of the day, and let's read together as one. Let's be one and read together as one and see what God does as we walk in unity. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray. They're going to keep on passing that out. And I'm going to pray. They're going to sing and we're going to go home. Father, we love you in the name of Jesus for all your words and all your power and all your document you gave to us, your book, God, your collection, God, of all your wisdom and revelation you've given to man. I thank you that the Word was made flesh and the flesh gave us the Word. I pray today, God, as we receive, God, these, these opportunities, God, to engage in the Scripture, 
I pray, God, you'd give us strength. I pray, God, you'd give us the ability, Lord, to wake up every day or before we go to bed every night. It's to engage in your word because I know you. And I know, Father, you long, you long to spend time with us reading about you and hearing about you and your word. And I pray, God, that for some of us, God, who have had a hard time in the past, reading your word, it's been empty, it's been boring. Oh, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come in and fan, fan back into flame the belief that your word is what it says it is. And make that word alive in us, alive in us, that we might live it out with reverence and obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.